You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. When you hear someone talk about blood sugar, you might zone out. That's because a lot of us think that it's only relevant to people with type 2 diabetes. But blood sugar is a topic that everyone should understand. If you want to feel good and have energy, you need to balance your blood sugar. Research shows that even healthy people have wild swings in their blood sugar right after they eat, and spikes in blood sugar make your pancreas work harder. They also make you older, and they put you at a greater risk for weight gain, heart attack, and stroke. Here's why I'm talking about this. Bioptimizers has a new product called Blood Sugar Breakthrough. You take two capsules 15 minutes before a meal. Your body will push carbs and glucose into your muscles for use as fuel instead of fat. That means you get stable energy and you don't have that post-meal crash. Better yet, you can improve your workouts and get better gains at the gym. But the biggest benefit is that it'll improve your overall health. Just go to bloodsugarbreakthrough.health Dave for an exclusive 10% off. For 25 years, I've had a strong passion for understanding the science behind why we age and what we can do about it. One of the most groundbreaking discoveries in the last two decades is senolytics. Senolytics are plant-derived or pharmaceutical ingredients that can help your body drop old, worn-out cells. Scientists call them senescent cells, and in my books, I call them zombie cells. As you age, those senescent cells build up in your body. They live for a long time, and they eat up your energy. There is a hack for this. It's called Qualia Senolytic. Your podcast sponsor, Neurohacker Collective, created Qualia Senolytic. It eliminates those zombie cells and has a clinical study that supports its effectiveness. I really felt a difference in how my body moved after just a couple months on Qualia Synolytic. It's upped my energy level even more, and my joints feel really good. If you're over 30 and you want to use a clinically tested formula to help you feel younger, try Qualia Synolytic. To get younger now, visit neurohacker.com Dave and try it risk-free for up to 100 days. Use code Dave at checkout to get 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave. Use code Dave. Today's cool fact of the day is that if you're getting cold, maybe you should consider eating a few more bulletproof foods because it turns out that maybe 12% of your daily calories are used for thermogenesis, which is a process needed to keep you warm, digest food, and fuel your response to stress. And this is not well known but your mitochondrial efficiency can drive how good you are at thermogenesis. In other words, in some people, they eat calories and they get warm. Other people, they eat the same amount of calories. They don't get warm, they store fat. That's one of the reasons that a calorie is not just a calorie. And if you believe in conservation of energy or some other misapplied principle of physics or chemistry, then you need to rethink that because we are complex systems and a calorie is simply not just a calorie. If it was, you could eat coal for dinner and you'd be just fine. And that doesn't work and we know it. Today is one of my favorite kind of Bulletproof Radio episodes because I'm here with Dr. Mark Atkinson, who heads the Bulletproof Training Institute, and we are here to answer your questions together. So what we've done is we've asked you to post on social media and on the blog, on comments, Twitter, wherever else you like to do it, we collect your requests and answer those questions here. So I'm really grateful that you did that. If this is your first 
time ever listening to a Bulletproof Q&A. This is Dr. Mark Atkinson, and Mark is not only the leader of the Bulletproof Training Institute, he is an integrative medicine physician, and he's been working with Bulletproof for about a year now. I've really enjoyed getting to know him, and you should check out the other episodes because he knows a lot about Bulletproof. He has a more medical perspective. We're both big fans of personal development, personal growth, the psychological side of high performance, entering flow states and things like that. But having the medical side and the hacker side combined for Q&A means you're going to get answers that are like no other. So, Mark, thanks for making it out to the set. Yeah, kind of really excited to be here and just looking forward to getting on and answering some of the questions we've got. Now, you may notice something. In fact, you should be watching the videos. If you haven't checked out the video, we're now running a three-camera setup. We've got professional video editing. So you can head on over to bulletproofexec.com slash YouTube and that'll give you a link to our channel. And if you were watching, you'd see, for instance, that I have something in my glass that is not Bulletproof Coffee. The reason is that I'm here with Mark, who, if you heard him speak, is obviously uh, from uh, Great Britain. And so he's been teaching me to hold a cup of coffee with, with my little finger up. So I'm, I'm doing that to be polite. And actually what's in the cup is... From the garden, it's an infusion of, uh, let's, let's see, lemon balm and uh, peppermint or spearmint, some sort of mint family that I cut down on the way out here. And it's because we're recording this later in the evening and I actually don't want any caffeine and I didn't have time to brew some Bulletproof decaf. Plus, it's kind of cool. It's full of like green stuff. Mm-hmm. It tastes great as well. Okay. Question number one. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so this is from Stephanie. She is age 29. Hi, Dave. As someone who gave up soda almost two years ago, I needed something to replace soda with, so naturally I turned to mineral or sparkling water. There are two specific brands that I tend to reach for, and that is Topo Chico or La Croix. I was wondering if you've been able to delve further into what the long-term effects of these types of beverages and what that realistically looks like in terms of the volume of at the volume you're doing more harm and maybe just replacing your soda with something that isn't a ton better. Thanks in advance. Ooh, I have lots of thoughts on this, but I'm curious what the physician side of things says. I get asked this a lot by my patients. You know, when they start coming off cola and sugar-based um, beverages or high fructose corn syrup, they say, "Well, what do I drink?" And I said, well, there's a, you know, there's a couple of options to you. And we always talk about sparkling mineral water because particularly for those people who maybe um, have chosen not to drink alcohol anymore because they feel so much better when they don't drink alcohol, I normally talk about sparkling mineral water. I'm a big fan of San Pellegrino. I know you are as well. Yep. I'm really pleased this is um, a question that's been sent in. Some people say, well, you know, it's, uh, isn't sparkling mineral water like a weak acid? Is that going to affect my, my health? And the absolute answer is no, as long as it does not have sugar in it and added citric acid as well. But then also you have to have a drink a lot of it to harm your health. Basically, most sparkling mineral waters are pretty healthy, but I know we're big fans of San Pellegrino because of the sulfate uh, content. So it's kind of funny, this whole acid alkaline thing, there is a circadian rhythm to your acid alkaline balance. And Steve Folks, who's been a guest on Bulletproof Radio, a uh, guy who's one of the world's foremost experts on smart drugs, uh, and a, a personal friend and advisor to the, the anti-aging nonprofit that I run um, talks a lot about this. And in fact, he might have even talked about it at one of the conferences. And here's the thing. You want to change your body's pH really rapidly? It's called breathing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Carbon dioxide makes your body more acidic. 
right? But it's not like acid is bad and base is good. You can actually have something called hyperalkalosis, where your body's too alkaline and it actually kills you. Funny enough, on the Bulletproof Diet, which is full of bad acid-forming foods, I actually was borderline too alkaline, which technically, if you believed all the mumbo-jumbo about acid-alkaline balance, wouldn't be possible. That said, you can have too much acidity or too much alkalinity, but it's not as simple as don't drink soda. I can tell you categorically, don't eat a lot of fructose, don't eat sugar, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, You know, stick to the principles of the Bulletproof Diet, but... If you did drink more of this sparkling water and you did get a higher amount of CO2 which raised your acid levels, it would actually then cause your body to use more oxygen and you would balance it out. You would breathe. So I don't have any concern about that um, whatsoever. The brands you're talking about, I don't know what's in Topo Chico or La Croix. I like to get a glass bottle to avoid uh, some of the plastic bottles. Uh, You can get safe plastic, but not everyone uses it. And the other thing is, there's something called TDS, which is total dissolved solids. This is a measure of the amount of minerals that are in your water. But TDS is not necessarily good for you because they don't tell you what the dissolved solids are. If the total dissolved solids are cadmium, lead, and uranium, you got a little problem with your water, but it does have a high TDS count. If it's mostly calcium, you also could have a problem there because getting excess calcium in the body tends to not be good for you. It affects your mitochondria. It affects calcification of your tissues. It's one of the reasons that I recommend that you take magnesium but not calcium, especially if you consume dairy. Uh, butter isn't a high-calcium dairy, but if you're eating like milk and cheese and things. So what I like about San Pellegrino is not that it's owned by Nestle, which is like an abusive company from some perspectives uh, around... Uh, Water rights, particularly. I I do believe that water is a fundamental human right, and the head of Nestle is on record saying that he doesn't believe it's a fundamental human right. That is evil. And if you're listening, Mr. Head of Nestle, whose name I don't know who you are, seriously, we've got your number. That's not cool. Like, people have to live here. When they don't have water, they will try and kill you and me. So let's make sure everyone has water, all right? Now, that said, San Pellegrino is a... uh, It is actually a healing spring, and it has been for hundreds and maybe thousands of years, it's because there's a high amount of sulfate in the water. And with the right gut bacteria, you can actually make vitamin D sulfate when you're in sun. So people get better when they drink that water. It's the only water I've been able to find that has that. I would suspect that the Whole Foods brand of sparkling water that's also from Italy that probably is bottled next door (laughs) is also high in that, but I don't know for sure. Uh, There are various other brands There's even a calculator online, I don't know the URL off the top of my head, that'll tell you what dissolved solids are in what waters. But bottom line is, if you like bubbles, enjoy the bubbles. You're not going to harm yourself. If you like sugar, don't. All right. Yeah, just to to add to that as well. So um, what I find with some of my patients is that those who have cravings throughout the day, so rather than kind of indulge the craving, pour yourself a glass of sparkling mineral water. So it does release some gas, actually can create an experience of feeling Mm -hmm. a little bit kind of uh, full as well. And, you know, as with all these type of things, experiment, which means like, you know, use your chosen brand and see how it makes you feel. And when you drink it, if you feel good and, um, and it hydrates you and you look good and it hydrates your skin, then, mm-hmm. then that's great. If it don't feel so good in it, then change what you do. But at least monitor the impact it yeah. has on you. Well, one of my oldest uh, friends, uh, his name's Lance, is a competitive kickboxer and he actually talked to me years ago. He's like, Dave, when I drink sparkling water, like my workouts just aren't where I want them to be. I, I don't feel very good. I, I quit drinking it. 
So it didn't work for him. And there is something that happens in, in a workout where you want to start out with acid and then you want to finish with alkalinity. And there are actually some, uh, I believe it was a rowing team or a swimming team or something that, that changed the pH of their drink as they were racing to account for this. And uh, so he may have been hitting that where he raised acidity when he needed to be in an alkaline zone for endurance. I have no idea. So it's not like, like anything can't have an effect like that. But the other thing that, that's not well known about this, I, I love the science behind this stuff, is that we have these, these taste receptors in our mouth that are not well known. So there's the normal senses of taste that we were all taught about in grade school. But we also have this sense for umami, which is the savory taste. Basically, it means MSG. Mm. <laughs> and there's naturally occurring MSG. These are unbound glutamic acid. And it tastes shockingly good to us, and it triggers food cravings. It actually makes you more hungry. Uh, so I, I actually advocate cooking in ways that do not create umami and instead using savory flavors that come from herbs like oregano and, and sage and uh, things like that. But uh, umami is a different taste. We also have a taste bud for fat, which is independent of all the other flavors. That's why if you put brain octane oil in something like white rice, it tastes dramatically better, but it doesn't taste like butter rice. It tastes like white rice, but more like white rice. It's because you activated a second receptor. You also have a carbon dioxide taste receptor that no one recognized before. So the reason, and it's stronger in some of us than others, especially if you're a super taster, like I'm very perceptive on my taste. So I suspect that if you really like these things, you probably have more carbon dioxide or better carbon dioxide receptors for taste on your tongue, and it feels good to have it. And if, hey, I like doing what feels good. Uh, there's a lot of science there behind what you drink, but I think we're pretty good. Maybe throw some lime or lemon juice. That's what I like to do. Absolutely, yeah. Just kind of um, you know, squeezed fresh lemon, lime. I think that's great. Okay, uh, next question. So um, this is from Carrie, age 26. I would love more information about psoriasis. Uh, treatment, causes, genetics, hacks, food, leaky gut. Uh, thank you very much. Okay. Wow, lots to do here. You want to start? Absolutely. Yeah, so maybe let's just uh, take a big picture, step back. Let's talk about what psoriasis is, so I can do that. Uh, So it's an autoimmune condition, predominantly affects the skin. And so if you've never had psoriasis, um, you've probably seen someone who has it. It's kind of classically a red, itchy, scaly uh, rash. It can be really very disturbing for someone who has it. So, you know, you tend to get it on the elbows, the knees, the scalp the back, and uh, it affects a lot of people. I mean, you're looking at about 7.5 million Americans will have psoriasis, 125 million people worldwide with psoriasis. And it's getting worse, as I understand it. It's getting worse, as is the trend for most autoimmune diseases as well. And what we do know about psoriasis is there's a significant genetic component to it. And all autoimmunity in general has a genetic component. Yeah, right? it, has, it has that underlying susceptibility, and what seems to happen is there's um, there's a meeting of biological factors and environmental factors, which can include infection, which come together to trigger this. And what we now know is there's a particular type of immune cell in the skin called a T cell that basically gets activated. It thinks that the skin is being under attack. So it responds as such. It floods that patch of skin with this inflammation, these inflammatory mediators. And so normally, you know, the uh, turnaround time for skin cells is about 28 days. In someone with psoriasis, it's two to three days. So it's very distressing. Traditionally, you go to your conventional medical doctor. 
you're going to be given things like steroids, you're going to get vitamin A, vitamin D, analog creams, you may get narrowband uh, UVB ray. So I've worked a lot with people with psoriasis. You know, most people in integrative functional medicine have. And there's, the first thing is to know there is so much that you can be doing. Um, so what I'll do is I'm just going to map out a big picture and then we can talk about Absolutely. maybe some of the specifics. I think the first thing is to reduce inflammation. How do we reduce inflammation? Well, first of all, we start making healthy food choices. And that means actually about avoiding sugar, refined carbohydrates, really importantly, food sensitivities as well. There's no quicker way to inflame your body than consistently eat foods that you're kind of sensitive to. If you were to look at the Bulletproof Roadmap, just the, the suspect foods, those are usually the triggers. Exactly. But eggs, which are on the, the Bulletproof foods, may be a trigger for you as well. They're actually a relatively common allergen, but egg yolks are such a powerful mm. boost for your performance that they're in that, that green zone. Uh, and you should just get a blood test, I, I would say. What, yeah. what do you think about that? Uh, if yeah. you're dealing with psoriasis, you need to know. Yeah, you, you're absolutely do, and you got to start with your food, and um, and then also then really the health of your gut as well is so important. We, we know that we have trillions of bacteria that live inside our gut, and and that bacteria is constantly influencing the biology of our body, but also the psychology, how we think and how we feel as well. And so we often find people with called dysbiosis, so that's mm-hmm. an imbalance in the gut flora. So taking a, a high quality probiotic as at the same time as um, eating healthy, really important. Some people will have fungal infections or bacterial dysbiosis. So working with a functional medicine practitioner, if you get abdominal cramping or loose stools or bloating or a lot of wind, then there's almost yeah. certainly going to be dysbiosis there. Now, that comment just applied to probably three quarters of people listening. That's right. A few people have healthy gut. So right. we're talking about one autoimmune condition, but the number of people with an autoimmune condition is is remarkably high, and the approach is very similar for pretty much all of them. So don't kind of tune out on this part of of Bulletproof Radio because we're talking about the recipe for making your immune system behave itself, which is the root thing you do to make psoriasis better. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everything I'm saying is kind of like core principles of what's required to restore the vitality of of your body. And uh, along with that is also managing stress. So stress creates inflammation in the body. Um, and so you know, doing things you're passionate about, having a downtime, having a relaxation practice of some sort, you know, engaging in things that you like, you know, exposing yourself to sun is so important. We know that vitamin D yeah. is so important um, for skin health, for skin regulation, but also f- um, for autoimmune disease. Yeah. There's a correlation between your level of vitamin D and your probability of developing autoimmune disease. And mm-hmm. most people do not get enough safe sun exposure. And what I mean by safe sun exposure depends where you live, of course. But, you know, we need to be exposed to sun for a period of time, normally 10, 20 minutes in strong sunlight. And most people should get their vitamin D levels checked. In fact, supplementing vitamin D, which is something I recommend, there's great evidence for that, is inferior to getting some sunlight. So one thing I do, I don't have psoriasis. But I have a sun tanning lamp that makes ultraviolet B radiation, makes a little bit UVA, which is the stuff that causes aging, and more UVB, which is what causes the good stuff, especially because I live in Canada. So I end up getting less during winter. I just get less sun. And funny, in Canada, psoriasis, um, Alzheimer's, MS, uh, lupus, and just about every other autoimmune condition you can find are much higher. And they drop, and autism too, and they drop as you get closer to the equator. 
So if you want to live a long time and you live in Canada, you should have not just a bottle of vitamin D, you should have a sun tanning lamp so you can make vitamin D sulfate. Yeah. Uh, Stephanie Seneff, who was a guest on Bulletproof Radio earlier, I don't remember the episode number, um, we talk a lot about vitamin D sulfate, and she's one of the leading voices saying you should use a sun tanning lamp. Uh, so is Dr. Mercola, who's been a guest on the show uh, and has become a friend. Um, Dr. Mercola just quit selling sun tanning lamps because he was making claims, truthful claims of what they did, and the FTC said, well, there's no evidence, which was not true. So he's like, fine, I'll keep telling the truth and I'll stop selling them, ha ha. So you can go to Amazon today and you can buy a vitamin D lamp. And I think that is a really good idea if you have psoriasis. In fact, now this is going to maybe piss off Mark, I don't know. But there is really interesting research about getting ultraviolet B in the eye. So we have this idea, oh my goodness, you've got to protect your eyes from UVB. Except in the sunlight all day, we evolved to have some UVB. So ultraviolet B and, and all the other colors you see are actually signaling uh, your brain to do different things. So I think there's evidence you should go outside without your sunglasses on, even if you have light sensitivity the way um, I have at various times in life. You go out there and make yourself do it for a little while. Or even if you're in a sun tanning booth with UVB but not a lot of UVA, pop your glasses off for 15 seconds or something. I don't know the optimal amount. But there's something to be said for signaling the brain to turn down inflammation. And the way into the brain is through the eyes more so than through the skin. So that's a little bit controversial. I've not heard that said before. Uh, the other thing is low-dose uh, hydrocortisone, not topically, but orally on a sustained basis. Basically, it's hormone replacement therapy mm-hmm. for adrenal hormones. Uh, there is amazing evidence that low-dose cortisol can, can resolve psoriasis and many other broad-spectrum autoimmune conditions. It's almost unheard of in modern, uh, uh, for most modern doctors but it works uh, extremely well. Not prednisone, but actually cortisone or cortisol, the same stuff your body makes. Five milligrams, four times a day, divided doses. I've seen it work, and there's great evidence that it works, and that it is absolutely safe to do for decades on end if necessary. Yeah, and you know, there's another option as well, which is uh, a plant-based fat called sterols or sterolins. Mm -hmm. And so they actually act similar to steroids as well. You need to take quite a lot of it. Now, most people know about sterols for helping to reduce cholesterol, you know, that's another controversial subject, why you want to be doing that in the first place. Some people yeah. do, most people don't. However, you can use plant-based sterols. Now, a lot of us in the functional medicine field use sterols with people with autoimmune disease. And a lot of us don't find actually they really help people. So mm-hmm. if you optimize the vitamin D level, and, mm-hmm. and most of us should be aiming for a target of about 50 nanograms per mil, that's 125 nanomoles per liter. Um, that's the kind of target range. Most people need to be in at least 5,000 international units per day of vitamin D. Obviously, if you get natural sun exposure, you don't need to be doing that. We need to be monitoring your vitamin D. But adding in plant sterols would be something to consider as well. Okay, so um, I, I really hope that helps. I, just some final things. You know, this kind of subject is just so important because it affects so many people. So many people suffer unnecessarily with it. And it can affect things like self-esteem. Um, and so I'm just like, want to acknowledge that side of it. It can really affect you know, the, you know, the way you perceive yourself, and, and obviously it can look unsightly sometimes. Hydrating the skin is really important as well, and and you know, there are so many different creams and lotions and cold tar preparations. I found that with some of my patients, they really find just coconut oil rubbed in or extra virgin olive oil, oatmeal colloidal baths, keeping it hydrated yeah. is really important as well. All right, that was okay. good. Yeah. You want to read the next one? Yes, I do. Um, this is Abraham. 
age 48. Question, Dave, I have two unrelated questions. Let's do question one first. I heard you mention you have a child at the Waldorf school. I do as well. I have a first grader. I'm active at the school. I am hoping I can dis discuss with you the possibility of getting you involved in some form of marketing for the Waldorf education. Simply put, having the guy who works tirelessly trying to find his way to peak performance in all facets of life, choosing Waldorf says quite a bit about Waldorf. I think many families will benefit from hearing someone like you discuss Waldorf and why you choose it. So uh, to differentiate the Waldorf school from Waldorf salad, uh, Waldorf salad is you know, sour cream, apples, walnuts, and, uh, uh, and some celery, which I very much enjoy, except sour cream isn't very bulletproof, so don't really do that much anymore, <laughs> darn it. Uh, Waldorf schools, the other thing, these are basically the ultimate hippie school, to be perfectly straightforward. Your kids spend two hours a day outdoors, they sing songs, they light candles, there's no tests. Uh, they're pretty much the antithesis of American education. Now, it's interesting that Apple Computer's head of sales for K-12 education sends, uh, it's probably her kids, I don't know if it's a him or her, but that person sends their kids uh, to use a gender-neutral pronoun there, uh, to a Waldorf school. In fact, a lot of Silicon Valley people send their kids to Waldorf schools. One rule is no screens at all. They're not supposed to use iPhones, iPads, computers, Wi-Fi, none of that stuff. They hold hands, they sing songs, they play with string, they learn how to knit, they jump up and down. Like, oh, look, a stick, that kind of thing. And here's the thinking behind it. Emotional and neurological development, movement patterns, uh, learning, they learn to read late, learning to read at a time when the meat in your body is ready, I think there's value in that. And the idea is that you can take a young child and force them to overemphasize their cognitive abilities, and that comes at a cost. It comes at physical abilities, and it comes at a cost of emotional abilities. So I'd rather that my kids, before they're eight, Focus on healthy relationships and focus on basically being in a sympathetic, active state where they think the world is an amazing, wonderful mm. place full of fairies rather than a pretty scary place full of murders. You know how many murders my kids have seen on TV? None, ever. Mm. Mm. <laughs> you know how many TV shows my kids have watched? Well, we watched like a National Geographic show about penguins once. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. Mm. Right? And so people are like, how is this even possible? Well, the Waldorf philosophy is, is based on that kind of stuff. I'm not saying that it's the right thing. Montessori schools are really good. Uh, some Waldorf schools are much more effective than others. Mm. Um, they generally suffer from a lack of organization. And this is because, and I, every Waldorf teacher now knows what I'm talking about, uh, it's because the original guy, Rudolf Steiner, who envisioned the neurological, emotional, psychosocial development of kids, decided that school administrations were generally evil, which is true. If you've ever dealt with the school administration, we all know that's true. However, a bunch of teachers who spend their entire day in the headspace of kindergartners and fourth graders are also really, really crappy administrators. So you want to find a Waldorf school. If you choose to go this way, you want to interview the teachers and make sure that they have a functioning organization. And this is the Achilles heel of the Waldorf education system. I say this, my wife's on the school board, so it's not like you know the pot's calling the kettle black hair. But it, in every Waldorf parent I've ever talked to, there's a balance between those things, between having uh, a functioning school where everyone does what they say they're going to do when they say they're going to do it, uh, and having emotionally healthy kids. I'd rather have a dysfunctional administration and happy teachers and happy kids. And I look back to my childhood. 
I got my first computer when I was eight. There aren't a lot of people in their 40s who did that. My first computer was before DOS was invented. It was called CPM, for those of you who are old geeks like I am. It didn't harm me to not have technology before then. I went on to do some foundational things around the creation of cloud computing and virtualization and some early networking coolness called load balancing. So if I could have a career like mine in tech, and I didn't have a computer until I was eight, and none of my contemporaries had them until they were probably 12 or 15, I'm pretty sure my kids will be just fine if they get their tech skills a little bit later in life. Could be entirely wrong. Regardless, I think my kids will be happy. Will I get involved in marketing Waldorf? No, Waldorf is a bunch of small schools that are highly distributed. And whether you, you bring your kids to Waldorf school is a function of what schools are in your community. If there isn't a Waldorf school, it's probably going to be hard to send your kids there. Pick a Montessori school. I will get involved in marketing that says what you do before you conceive your kids, what you do in the womb, and what you do in those first seven years of life are more important than what college they go to, what neighborhood you live in, or anything else. It's all about what happens. You get it right from the start. It's way easier to keep it right than it is to fix it later. And I say that having done a lot of fixing on myself and doing that kind of work with clients. Any other thoughts there? Yeah, just uh, so my children go to Montessori, so I can just say a little bit about that. You know, um, it really depends on the school, first of all. You, you really, I mean, gosh, you can have a Waldorf. Uh, we visited a whole bunch of Waldorf. Yeah. They were just chaos. I mean, there was just <laughs> no way we are going to send the kids there. But other schools, you know, the Waldorf, that were just well-organized, and, and it just you, depends. You they're great. It depends on the school. So it just depends yeah. on the school. So you have to see what's available to you. We're very fortunate. We're, we're next to a Montessori Academy that actually takes children from age four to age 18. So they're there all the time. Now, the thing that struck me about the children there when I walked around was the older children looking me in the eyes and saying good morning. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a little thing, right? But it's a really important thing. Because for children to learn courtesy, poise, inner confidence, is such a gift that will hold them well throughout their life. Yep. And so the whole Montessori um, system is built around building character and meeting the physical, the emotional, the social, the spiritual needs of the children and, and, and wrapping them around this creative learning environment that the teacher guides. Now, does that, is that suited to most kids? Absolutely not. But is it suited to some children? Yeah, and you have to kind of work out what your values are as an individual and as a family, um, whether you can afford it because there's a fee attached to it, all of these different things. But if you can find a school that you, you visit in and you sit in the classes you know, before you commit and you feel good about it and, and the teachers are healthy and the kids are engaged, go for it. But you know, it really depends on the school. I would also look at homeschooling or even unschooling. Mm-hmm. Those are other options that are oftentimes more affordable. And if you have a great public school and you like your kids' teachers, it, it's really cool. Um, the other thing that I've, I found valuable is kids are supposed to learn from other kids. And when you do that weird thing where kids only spend time with their own age, it's actually unhealthy for them. Like you don't want a bunch of third graders only talking to third graders. What you want is you want first graders, third graders, and fifth graders all interacting so that the third graders can learn all the swear words from the fifth graders. Like that's how swear words flow down. But when you teach them to be kind and not to bully and, and things like that, which is part of the curriculum mm-hmm. at my kid's school, mm-hmm. what you end up with is 
just a, a different vibe where literally you'll see a, a 10-year-old happily helping a five-year-old do something and it's built in that helping spirit is built in i think that's more valuable than learning calculus when you're in when you're 10 it, just, it doesn't matter you can learn calculus whenever you want to yeah yeah and i'm with you i just think fostering the kind of virtues of respect and generosity and and that kind of internal mentoring system this is saying the montessori you have you know different age kids in all the same class yeah. they look out for each other they mm-hmm. extend themselves these are just kind of fundamental qualities of what it means to be a good healthy human yeah. being and they're valued within the system. And you know what? There is no rush to cognitively overload a kid who's only age six. All in good time. And the whole idea is you build the character on good foundations. You start with character development, emotional needs, really importantly, keeping connect- kids connected to nature as well. Yep. So, you know, kids naturally in nature will just come fully alive. And you, so you want to preserve that aliveness and not shut it down by going straight into the head, which is, you know, cognitively overloading kids which just stresses them out. It, we were just talking about our, our coach training program, the, the Bulletproof training for, for coaches. And a big part of that is teaching people to get out of their head. And for me, this, this was nothing I ever learned. I, I, I learned to read at 18 months. I've, I've mm-hmm. always been in my head uh, almost exclusively. And you, when you realize like, there's other intelligence systems that are in the body mm-hmm. that are manageable and hackable and useful, yeah. It, it's kind of cool. So I realized for my kids, I'd rather that they work on that emotional development because mm-hmm. cognitive conscious stuff, your brain isn't even done cooking until you're like yeah. 24. Yeah. So All I'd rather fill it. And there's interesting data that says kids who spend more time on uh, the social and emotional aspects when they're younger, they're actually academically delayed in middle school and then they kick everyone's they ass up. in yeah. high school. Yeah. So yeah. I, I'll tell you in 20 years whether you or I made a good choice, right? And there's no A-B testing yeah. with the same kid because different kids will have different results. Yeah. So who knows? We all do our best and yeah. you know, I, I think every parent does the very yeah. best they can with what they've got. Yeah. And I don't know the Waldorf is right for everyone, but mm. that's why I did it. And you know, just by virtue of the fact, you know, we're asking the questions we're talking about, that's when you have a discussion with your partner about what you want for your kids. Even that alone is 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 good because it's mm-hmm. like a lot of people will just send the kids to the local school without asking those questions. So, good question. We appreciate you saying that. In let's do number two from from Brian. Yeah. So Abraham, yeah. part two of um, Abraham's uh, question was: I use your brain um, brain octane oil, and I'm not sure how much is too much and whether it should be cycled or is it every day. Keep up the good work. Thank you. I, I use it every day. Uh, you can go off of it if you want, but what it's doing is it's giving you some energy that your cells can make directly from fat, even if you're eating carbohydrates. So I put it, I have it in my Bulletproof coffee every morning, religiously. Sometimes I use Instamix when I'm traveling now, which has brain octane in it, but it's a powder. And then I do it at lunch. Today I had some sushi for lunch. I poured brain octane on my sushi. And at dinner, we'll have some kind of vegetable dish with some grass-fed something or another on it. And that'll have a tablespoon or two of brain octane poured on it, maybe in the salad dressing. It's present in every meal because it completely frees me from the need to think about food. And I like having mild ketosis all the time. So I, I perform better that way. How much is too much? A disaster pants is a great thing. It's harder to give yourself disaster pants with brain octane. In fact, I find it really difficult. It's not impossible on an empty stomach. Uh, if you're getting symptoms of like just too much activation or just like, I don't feel really good, you're probably pushing it. But it depends on your body weight, depends on your constitution. For a woman over 40 who's just getting going, sometimes a teaspoon is like a lot. Like, ooh, I'm warm. My thyroid just got activated. Like, okay. 
And then other times, two tablespoons a day or two tablespoons a meal. I do about two tablespoons in the morning and at least a tablespoon per meal would be an average for me. Yep, no, that would make sense. Okay, uh, question, next question from Carla, age 53. So question, I love all things bulletproof. Please give us a list of good books to read. I seek out intellectual books that will help me hack everything. I would love to have an extensive list of supplements that can help hack autoimmune disease. Thank you. The Bulletproof Diet has changed my life. I have Bulletproof Coffee every day and I plan to visit the new coffee shop next month. Thanks, Dave. Love your work. Wow. Thanks for flying out, Carla, to uh, California just to go to the store. (laughs) I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a mecca. I love going there and maybe I'll be visiting in the robot. Uh, we have a, a robot that roams around the store where I actually control the robot. I, I, I move it around and my face is on it and I talk with people when I can't make it there in person. So I have a chance to be connected with people, which I appreciate. Um, the top book I think you might want to think about here would be Isabella Wentz has a book on Hashimoto's thyroiditis. It is a profoundly detailed book. And since I don't know what autoimmune issues you have and Hashimoto's, which I used to have and I don't anymore, um, is an autoimmune condition, I think uh, that is a good place to start. She's got a great list of supplements in the book. Do you have a single book you'd recommend? Um, yeah, I, you know, for me, one of the game-changing books was uh, Dr. David Plumutter's Grain Brain book. Yeah. Um, just really starting to understand that you know, when you have grains and gluten sensitivity, how that impacts and creates inflammation in your body, etc. So I, I, would take, um, I would take a look at that. Um, you know, just, I, I don't know whether this is true, Carla, but you know, um, what I picked up here is that you want intellectual books. I also think I, I tend to find sometimes people can over-focus on the body and, and disregard or at least diminish the importance of the emotional and the stress and the spiritual and the psychological. <coughs> so, you know, I just want to put it out there. You know, there's one book that I have pretty much asked most of my patients to read and purchase. Mm-hmm. Called the Presence Process is written by a South African um, author called Michael Brown, and basically it's a 10, uh, 10 week training program, and mapped out in the book that teaches you how to become much more present to yourself, to your emotions, how to welcome, work with them, and for a lot of people, particularly those who have a lot of stress and tension and suffering from chronic illness, they found it to be really helpful, very enlightening, and to really start letting go of a lot of the stress and tension, emotional baggage as well too. Yeah. Maybe take a look at that as well. I like it. Okay, Emmanuel, age 46. My wife has been experiencing depression on and off for eight years. She has tried counseling, helped a bit, but I really want to know how I can help her. Thanks, love the show. Depression's a biological condition. I, counseling, talking about a biological condition, like, <laughs> I'm a fan of counseling. It helps you understand what's going on, but... It, it's kind of like like if you don't address the biology, the counseling is unlikely to be effective long term. And yeah. I think there's data to show yeah. that as well. Uh, here's a hack, and this isn't a treatment for depression, but turn off all of your lights at night. Uh, get the the low blue light. You want red or amber lights, and I'm like be really militant, especially screens. Screens mess you up. They ruin your sleep quality, and you and you've got to have sleep. And this is a big part of depression. A lot of people with depression don't get good quality sleep. One of the things that's just a major issue, you're looking at your phone before you go to sleep. The phone is super bright blue light. Blue light ruins sleep. It actually makes you weak. It affects your mitochondria. And if you have blue light, it should be when you're outdoors under a blue sky in sunlight. When you look at this before bed, it messes with you. 
So you should not be doing that. If you run the iPhone or Android, you want to run the software that lowers the color temperature. We make something called the Bulletproof Zen Tech screen protector. I have it on my phone. It blocks some of that blue light, which is a really good thing to do just for sleep quality in general. The other thing, if you're dealing with depression, the opposite side of this is when you wake up in the morning, not just using a, a light box with the bright blue or bright, or bright white light, actually using a sun tanning lamp, getting some quality ultraviolet B in the morning. So you want to send a very strong signal to your body that says, okay, it's morning time and you need to even go outside if you can. If you're around sun, so you get sun in your eyes and you get sun on your skin. And you do that in combination with getting absolute real darkness, turning off all those LEDs and committing to that, you'll feel incredibly different in a week if you do that. It's completely a game changer. Yeah, so um, I've worked with a lot of people with depression and their partners because it's, you know, depression can have such a impact on the quality of relationship, on family life and everything. And uh, so I've, I've really spent a lot of time in the past coming to better understand depression. And so I just want to outline some core principles cool. that I think would be really helpful. I think the first thing is to realize depression is a symptom. It's not a diagnosis. It really doesn't tell us about what the underlying cause is. So we have to do some detective work. And more often than not, the cause is biological. And if I had one wish for the world of psychotherapy and counseling, it would be to always consider that first and then to deal with the remaining psychological thereafter. And some real basic things is like, you know, I found that most people with depression will respond really well to stopping all sugar, period. Yep. Getting some physical exercise, exposing themselves to sunlight. And even just admitting there's a problem and be willing to get help is hugely important because some people get so stuck when they're in that kind of a depressed state. But then there's a whole bunch of biological things we have to look for. Do you have hypothyroidism? What's happening to the thyroid? Do you have adrenal fatigue? Is stress happening here? Um, some people are struggling with addictions, and the addictions is driving the underlying depression. If you have a history of significant trauma in the past, and that can be uh, a traumatic event, or it could be what we call developmental trauma, where basically certain needs weren't met in childhood, and you haven't yet developed a healthy sense of self. You haven't le learned how to work with emotions and, and work with stress. So all of these things need to be considered. But as a general rule of thumb, if you clean up the diet and really come off the sugar particularly, and I've seen it so many times, I'd say at least 80% of the people with depression who come to me, they clean out the sugar, they feel so much better. Then you start eating more healthy because some people with sugar, they, their blood sugar is up and down all the time. And it feeds candida, which also triggers depression, right? And, that's, and particularly like if, if you have bloating, gas, abdominal distension, You've got dysbiosis. If you've got sugar cravings, you've probably got a yeast overgrowth there as well. That has to be true as well. So what I would say to someone who's struggling with depression and hasn't been able to resolve it themselves within a couple of weeks is you've got to find someone who is uh, functionally aware, whether it's a nutritional therapist or, or an MD, functional medicine trainer, or a naturopath, 
just someone who really understands the importance yeah. of getting the biology right first. There's a whole bunch of times I've met people who are depressed because the thyroid's not working properly. It's a symptom oh, yeah. of hypothyroidism, <clears throat> yeah? And then there are more nuanced things, and we talk about this a lot at Bulletproof, but why? Because it's so important, which is the issue of mold and allergies yeah. and environmental toxins. I mean, you know what? If you live in a moldy environment and you are sensitive, you will become depressed, or just, you'll become angry, or yeah. a mixture of both. Or both, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like PMS all the time for yeah. men. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, as smaller subcategories, there's existential depression, which is who am I, where am I going, what is the meaning of my life? But that's not the major category. So, you know, and, and also I, I feel for you, you know, when you're a partner of someone who's depressed, that can bring up a whole bunch of stuff for you. You know, this desire to, to help, the frustration that they're not helping themselves. So I'd also just reach out to you and just say, make sure you're taking care of yourselves, that you're well supported, you're dealing with your own stress. Because sometimes we can build resentments. We don't want to be resentful towards our depressed partner, but those resentments can come up. So just take good care of yourself as well. And I hope that you find um, a practitioner who can work mainly on just checking out these biological things first. Um, and then if there is a history of stress and trauma, then addressing those as well. The, the most profitable business model you could have would be to ignore the biological and just talk about it. And that's really stressful. Now, if you deal with the biology, you can still be depressed because you didn't talk about it. And this is the order of operations order that matters. Operation. Just get the biology working and the depression may resolve. And if it doesn't, you need to talk about it and you need to address the trauma. And I'd look at neurofeedback. I'd look at heart rate variability training. And I'd look at uh, EMDR, which is a very, very powerful yeah. uh, technology you do with a therapist. So I'm, I'm all over talk therapy and any other kind of therapy, but how dare you eat a Snickers bar and go into talk therapy? It, that's not how it works. <laughs> yeah, I'm really with you on that. Okay, great. Um, final question. Oscar, age 34. I've been following the Bulletproof diet for four months. Whilst I initially lost some weight, about 10 pounds, I fit a plateau and can't seem to lose any more weight. I need to lose another 20 pounds at least. Any tips? Well, when people don't lose weight on the Bulletproof diet, it can be oftentimes from a food sensitivity. Mm -hmm. So the chances are pretty high that you are eating one of the suspect foods that is guilty for you that you don't know about. So it's triggering inflammation. And we don't know much about where the weight is or, or kind of how it manifests, but quite often some of that is inflammation. And so you might want to get a blood test to see what you're allergic to, or you might want to be more rigorous in the way you use the free thing. It's called Food Detective. It's a free app that we put out there that helps you use your heart rate in order to determine whether you might have eaten something that you're sensitive to, which is kind of a cool way to do uh, to do this, just to dial in on it. Um, you also could just be eating way too much. There's some people who put you know 10 tablespoons of butter in their Bulletproof coffee, and then they have some sugar in it. So if you're not actually on the Bulletproof diet, that's a problem. The sugar is a problem, especially if you're going to go crazy on the butter. Uh, I found that when I first started doing this, I couldn't get enough of the butter and the fat. I, I was like my body desperately needed this. I was a raw vegan for a while. Like I needed to replenish. And I went literally, sometimes I would do seven or eight tablespoons of butter. And it was like, oh, like I'm, mm. I'm finally satisfied in a way that, that, that visceral mm. way. And I do about a tablespoon of butter in the morning now. Like it, it's there to help the brain octane do its thing. But I just don't have any desire to put that much butter in. So you could be doing too much. Another really common problem is that people are like, oh, paleo, and, and like they eat you know 16 pounds of meat every day. Here's the thing, this is a moderate to low protein diet. The problem is that if you're eating lots of muscle protein and lots of whey protein, 
even, you're getting amino acids that can be inflammatory. So when you do this right, you can download the Bulletproof uh, Diet Roadmap. It, it's free. It just on just Google it on the, the or search for it on the website. And on the top right part of it, there's a little thing about Bulletproof Intermittent Fasting, and then there's a thing about Bulletproof Protein Fasting. And Bulletproof Protein Fasting, one day a week, you eat less than 15 grams of total protein the whole day. It's actually hard to do that because vegetables have protein in it. So you eat like a lot of olives and sauerkraut (laughs) and some coconut milk and white rice and things like that. Uh, But for some people, that absolutely just breaks through the plateau in a way that's amazing. And if that doesn't work, and Bulletproof Intermittent Fasting, where you only have Bulletproof coffee, no protein, no carbs in the morning, and that doesn't work, I would try a 24 to 48-hour water fast and see what that does to just break through it. Yeah, so I'm with you in all of that. Um, food sensitivity is such a big yeah. one. You know, when you struggle to lose weight, think inflammation. What's generating, causing the inflammation? You know, when you come off those foods you're sensitive to, um, often that you hold a lot of water in your body, that water will go. You'll start to lose weight. Also, I mean, you're relatively young. You're age 34. Certainly, for other people, maybe listening more relevant to them is checking hormone levels as well, particularly for for women as well. Your estrogen, progesterone levels that has a big impact on your weight as well, the health of your adrenals. Uh, but I would, I would put my money with the food sensitivities. Yeah. Uh, I'm also a big fan of intermittent fasting as well. I think for some people, yeah. that's just enough, the kind of um, metabolic upset to kind of really initiate the kind of proper functioning um, of, the, of the biology and uh, losing weight. So um, I think that's uh, pretty good. But also just be really truthful with yourself. Just maybe track your food and what you drink for three days. Because, you know, sometimes we forget. We kind of, you know, um, drink like a, a glass of beer at nighttime or a glass of <laughs> yeah. wine. And we just don't include them, don't think of that as calories and stuff. Sometimes yeah. that can creep in. Okay. Certainly if portion size is a significant problem for you, as it is for some, slow down your eating, become more mindful. Yeah. And just add more vegetables. More, Yeah, just keep adding vegetables, you know. Um, so uh, I think that's, uh, that's probably about it. Well, I, I did come across uh, one, uh, one woman who had lost 250 pounds of fat overnight. I'm like, how did you do this? And it turns out she just got divorced. So <laughs> That's the stress. <laughs> uh, that's actually a, a lead-in into stress and emotional stuff. So if you have tons of stress in your life, uh, whether it's from a relationship, a job, or something else, uh, that actually can contribute to cortisol, which can contribute to weight gain. So yeah. not that I recommend divorcing to lose weight, but uh, I would recommend looking at your relationships as part of that. Yeah, and just on that, because it's triggered another thought, is you know some people struggle with food addiction. What that means is that um, uh, certain foods, they, they feel they have to eat compulsively, and that can be pretty challenging. So you know they get very controlling around their food, but it creates so much stress and tension inside yeah. of you. Um, and you know, really what, I, what we tend to find when people transition to the bulletproof diet, you know, one of the first things they realize is, well, I have more energy, my cravings go away. Yeah, freedom that, from cravings. And that's what we want for you because I work with a lot of people with food addictions and once they start having the brain octane and they have more healthy fats, those cravings just aren't there anymore. Yeah. But then once you start managing your stress, once you start living a more fulfilling life and, and you feel using your skills and strengths, that's the foundations for being bulletproof and really enjoying mm-hmm. the best of life. You you said it very very well, and that that lack of cravings can can translate to addressing the core causes of food addiction. And it's really hard to tell from a question, you know, yeah. from Oscar here whether which of those it is. But those are common things. I guess the other one I didn't mention: if 
if things really aren't working, you can also get an MTHFR test. You may have methylation issues. Mm -hmm. So when I see uh, clients who go bulletproof, they do it right, and they lose some weight, but then they see inflammation that doesn't drop the way it's supposed to, it's almost always the fact that they have a problem with their methylation pathways. And I've had a couple podcasts with guests about that. So when that happens, specific forms of vitamin B at the right, uh, the right doses can basically unlock those cycles and all of a sudden then your uh, detox pathways start working better and magically you can lose weight again. Mm. And just finally, because one thought came to mind was just um, sometimes I, I prefer my clients to track the body fat percentage um, because you know if you're doing um, high intensity weight training or strength training, your weight actually may go up a little bit as you put on bulk and yeah. stuff. So also maybe check your body fat percentage and also get really clear about why you want to lose weight and um, make sure it's healthy weight loss as well. And uh, it, it's a massive subject, but I think we've got some good points yeah. there. If you enjoyed today's show, which was mostly about sort of like repairing stuff rather than our more human performance-focused things, I'd love to know, do you want more you know, brain hacks or do you want more of this kind of thing? Uh, I listen greatly to what you ask for, so this is a set of questions people ask this time. Uh, you'll find Bulletproof Radio is all about how the body works, how the mind works, how the emotional body works, and what you can do to take control of it and perform even better. So I think you got a lot of that in today's episode. I would love it if you just keep sending in questions and we'll post links on where you can do that. You can just go straight to Facebook and do that. And I, uh, I'm grateful that you took the time to listen and that you took the time to ask these questions for the five people whose questions we chose. Mark, thanks. Thanks so much. If you liked today's episode, you know what to do. Give us a positive feedback on, uh, on Facebook or on iTunes or anywhere else. Just let us know. And if you haven't checked out the new subscription program for Bulletproof Coffee, we'll save you money and we'll save you time and we'll send you Brain Octane, we'll send you Bulletproof Coffee. And if you like it, we'll send you Instamix, which means when you travel, you'll always have Bulletproof Coffee with grass-fed butter and Brain Octane. You'll always have it with you without having to carry anything that's refrigerated or requiring blending. It's a complete breakthrough in how I travel. I pretty much bring a case of Bulletproof Bars and a case of Instamix with me and I'm completely food-free. I'll have dinner when I get a chance, but if not, I'm completely good to go. Have a wonderful day, and I hope to see you at the Bulletproof Conference September 23rd in Pasadena, California, bulletproofconference.com. Thanks for watching. Don't miss out. To keep getting great videos like this to help you kick more ass at life, subscribe to the Bulletproof YouTube channel at bulletproofexec.com YouTube. A human upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. 
Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.